You're listening to Public Safety First, a podcast to help you learn about the First Responder Network Authority and how you can be part of the future of public safety technology. And now, your host. Hi, and welcome to the Public Safety First podcast. I'm Kyle Richardson, a senior public safety advisor with the FirstNet Authority. Today, I'm joined by Captain David Schnurston with the Grand Rapids Police Department in Michigan. Thanks so much for joining us today, Captain. Could you start by telling us about your background and what you do for Grand Rapids PD? So I came to Grand Rapids. I've been here 22 years. I spent about a year in patrol and then four years on our full-time tactical team. I transferred to the detective unit. Six months later, they promoted me to sergeant. I was ordered in to be the support services sergeant and manage the fleet and supervise cops at youth clubs. So I got promoted to lieutenant and uh, spent five years as a shift commander. And then two chiefs ago, put me in charge of a whole bunch of things, some of it including records and IT. They created a division for it uh, and I was promoted to captain and I've been here since. So I started out having everything from crime analysis to property management to the traffic unit to now I have our emergency communications center records and IT. So I'm kind of like an IT director, chief security officer, custodian of the record, FOIA coordinator, all that stuff. Well, thanks again, Captain, for joining us for this. Tell me a bit about Grand Rapids PD and the region you serve. So Grand Rapids is the second largest city in the state of Michigan. We've got about 200,000 residents. Daytime population jumps normally because of the business community. We've got about 45 square miles to police. It's all very urban. Police department, were about 300 sworn, roughly, and there's about 75 to 80 non-sworn employees. We're a full-service agency that makes us a little unique in the sense that the only thing we don't have are boats and helicopters or planes, so uh, we do everything else. We have our own dispatch center, so we call, take, and dispatch for the Grand Rapids Police and Fire Departments. We maintain the Emergency Operations Center for the city in here. We have the city's data center in our headquarters. And then we have a variety of specialized units. We have a special response team that handles high-risk events. They do anti-crime work. We have a detective unit. Uh, We have a vice and drug unit. So pretty much we do everything that we can in-house. Tell me a bit about how your role supports communications for, for your department. So I'm essentially like an IT director of sorts. We support the end users and the networking for the, you know, the entire agency, whether it's the dispatch center or the detectives. And so we were tasked with providing wireless connectivity for our vehicles. So my career, where I first started in another agency, they handed me a shotgun, keys to a car, a portable radio that had the same number on it as the car did. And that was all the equipment I had besides a radio and the car. Uh, you know, everything was written on paper. And there was nothing even remotely close to technology anywhere near that. I think there were probably like four computers that anyone used at any one time. When I came to Grand Rapids, we had mobile data terminals, the actual old style, you know, green and black screen MDTs in the cars, which I was fascinated by because I'd never even used one or seen one. So eventually that segued into having laptops and cars, eventually going to electronic report writing. Then things got crazy and we put desktop docs, wired Ethernet in the squad bay. That became Wi-Fi. You know, and now while some of our core solutions would still continue to work disconnected, they have wireless infrastructure, you know, in the vehicles. It's been an interesting development to watch this happen. I mean, I remember piloting VHS tape in-car video. I was a member of our special response team. We piloted the idea of having in-car video. 
and yeah. now it's digital and it's being uploaded in the field over LTE, not even Wi-Fi and off when you come back to headquarters. So it's just constantly streaming to the cloud. What challenges have you experienced with communications as the technology has evolved? And are there any solutions that you're looking at to address them? So up until very recently, we had a VHF radio network and it didn't have a lot of channels. So having MDTs to be able to communicate over text was very helpful because there wasn't a lot of airtime necessarily. And that literally goes back to being able to communicate on our radio network to eventually going to 3G data in a laptop to having a router in the trunk of the car that had 3G and eventually LTE in it and dealing with the challenges of supporting those devices. Disparate vendors, you know, we had a period of time where we were incredibly challenged by units just going dark. We didn't even understand why they would show connected VPN software would show them connected. You could even see GPS data of the unit, but they couldn't transact actions in, in a computer-aided dispatch system. And for the life of us, we couldn't figure out what's going on. And then randomly, we would just start working again. And we discovered that the vendor we were using for wireless data at the time had turned on data limitations. And after using X amount of data a month, you were cut off and sent to 3G. And what we didn't know was they had also reduced the back-end bandwidth to their 3G network to only support voice communication. And at that level of bandwidth, our computer-aided dispatch system wouldn't function. So that was always an issue, is having enough available bandwidth and being able to use it uh, just for data purposes. We're very fortunate. The citizens of Kent County supported a 911 surcharge increase to go to a P25 7800 megahertz digitally trunked radio network. We went live on it last year. The fire department joined us the month later, and the sheriff's department and the rest of the agencies are working on going live. And that, that affords an entirely different level of uh, radio interoperability. Now we're looking at the, the push to talk interoperability with a smartphone, you know, so that there's the opportunity to leverage those two things and marry them together. So you talked a lot about capacity issues that you're having out there. Want to know what you did to augment or to overcome those? So we left the vendor that put us in that bad situation. And at that point, we looked and evaluated some, and we actually selected AT&T at the time before FirstNet came around. And we had run almost double-digit units in the field with test sims and modems and to kind of get an idea of what the coverage was. So we mapped out the coverage, and it was good. It met our needs. Do we have gaps? Yeah, I mean, if you go underground in a parking garage, I can't help you. But driving around, for the most part, we had good coverage in our vehicles. Eventually, we migrated to embedding the LTE modem in the laptop, getting it from our laptop vendor instead of having a router, just out of simplification. And that worked fine. And eventually, AT&T was awarded the first net contract. We swapped out SIMs. As we made changes... To other technology, uh, specifically in-car video, we went to a vendor that uses a router in the vehicle to connect the cameras to the computer. So they wired power to their devices, but the data connection is over Wi-Fi to a router, and then your mobile data computer is over Ethernet to the router. So we've gone back to having LTE service via a router in the trunk of the vehicle. What do you do in those scenarios like the parking garage instance? So we worked with AT&T early on in this because one of our challenges is as far as voice coverage or smartphone coverage, 
our, our building is very old. So this building, they like cement back then when they build things. It's really thick between the floors. So you couldn't make a phone call at AT&T service anywhere other than maybe my office with your phone out toward the window and a few other places. And uh, AT&T recognized that post first net and came in and measured everything. And we wandered around every square inch of this building a couple of times. And they put a DAS system in my underground parking garage. The next floor up is partially underground and then our lobby level. So now you could actually use AT&T service in our building. And they built more towers. And it provides us what we need for us to do our job on a day-to-day basis. So these days, you know, budget's a big deal. Have you seen any cost savings with FirstNet? And, you know, kind of looking towards the future, how do you see the ability of broadband that you can rely on providing for uh, a level of cost savings, you know, over the various different units and, and things that you do? Where I see it is there's always the plus one. It's like, well, okay, now I need connectivity on this, or I need connectivity on this. And like, you know, I, I, my approach has been, we're going to pay for a data plan one time. Not going to pay for two data plans for one person. <laughs> they can have one. Because there isn't a data cap and it's high speed, so the cost savings is if you have a smartphone that already has that capability, you don't end up paying for multiple data plans. How are officers using data in the field? We provided essentially a mobile office all the way down uh, to every single patrol officer. One of my early goals when I came into this job was a sergeant shouldn't need to come into headquarters and do their job if they work in patrol. I mean, we have broadband data. Go out there. That's where the work is. With a VPN, they're inside of headquarters in a car. So they can review video. They can review reports. They can do anything they need to from the laptop in the vehicle and not have to be sitting in here where if something kicks off they need to be at, it takes them that longer to get there. So you literally could log into any computer and it became yours. And so having reliable high-speed internet access over wireless is pretty critical to that because literally we don't store any data on the hard drives of our computers other than temporarily. Any patrol officer can jump in any car, log into it, and it's theirs. So if you're in a car, out of a car, you have an idea of what's going on around you and what, if you're a supervisor, what, what your people are doing. And having these additional talk groups available because we've gone to a, a digital trunk system, our people, they can get on the radio and talk more often than they did in the past. As far as what they're using data in the vehicles for is pretty much whenever possible. If you're running a query on a person, a vehicle, a stolen item, a firearm, whatever it is, if you can get in your vehicle and do it yourself safely, you're not going to wait in line and talk to the dispatcher who will do it for you. But then you can do it all in front of you. And we've integrated those responses so that we can take that data and not have to have our end user retype it into our records management system. So that information is available basically to copy and paste into a police report or a traffic citation or a crash report or whatever. So you're not constantly retyping data that's already in the computer. We have public space video that we have access to, you can pull it up in your in your vehicle and watch it. We're uploading the own our the video we create ourselves in our cars. Great. I think you talked a bit about push to talk earlier. How do you see that being used? The number one use case that just came up was people that are essentially in a plainclothes environment where it's not practical for them to be wearing a radio and pulling it out and talking on it. So using a smartphone is is far easier and uh, we had a unit that was using push to talk, 
but it wasn't integrated to anything. So if you were running an operation and you needed anyone to be able to hear a conversation between someone that was using push to talk, you essentially had to have a liaison officer standing there relaying what they were hearing to whoever was around them, you know, and, that, and that's a challenge. So we had looked at the idea of some of this land mobile radio integration. Initially, when we looked at it, it was probably well over eight to 10 years ago. We just couldn't justify the cost. Now we're at a point where there is a business need. It really doesn't even have to be undercover or even truly covert. It's just low-key communication and be able to hear what's going on on the radio. You can choose to have who you want hearing it based on what radio talk group you've selected. And then you can have people without radios being able to hear radio traffic and, and vice versa. It obviously affords you the ability in a management or a command role to be able to monitor what's going on in your area of responsible to a certain extent, regardless of where you are. You're no longer dependent upon being in range of your radio network. If you've got an internet connection, you can hear that traffic uh, and have some situational awareness beyond what someone's calling you and relaying to you. This has been a great conversation, Captain, and uh, we really appreciate your time. Sure. We'd love to continue the conversation with you sometime in the future as well. Right. You have a great day. Be safe. You too. Thanks for listening today. We're excited to have you join our podcast community. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. You can learn more about the First Responder Network Authority at FirstNet.gov and learn about FirstNet products and services at FirstNet.com.